Michael Reed on LMFM. The Sinn Féin president, Mary Lou Macdonald, is on uh, the phone with us now. And uh, a very good morning to you, Mary Lou Macdonald. I must say I'm really delighted that you're well enough to take our call. Thanks so much, Mike. And I am very delighted to talk to you. I'm, I'm back at work today, feeling very well, very strong, uh, having been through a bit of an ordeal, to be honest with you. Um, but I'm delighted now to be back at work today. There's certainly a huge amount of work to, to, to be done, Mike. And my, mm. my first thoughts coming through this experience and then coming out the far end of it uh, are with everybody else who's sick at this time. I wish them a very speedy recovery and particularly to, to those who have lost loved ones. It's uh, an absolute heartbreak and um, such a, a difficult time for people. And I know that there are there are others who are very, very anxious about loved ones. So I'm, I'm thinking about all of those and feeling very, very lucky. Okay, well, you sound well. The voice is uh, strong and you're getting over a dose of coronavirus, COVID-19. Uh, you were tested on the 28th of March. Uh, you had a long wait for the results, did you? I had. I had a 16-day wait. And as it happened for me, Mike, was uh, I had initially symptoms that I thought, genuinely I thought were head cold. Or, But once they presented, I stayed at home because that is the advice. If you are symptomatic at all, you stay in your house. So... I did that. I got then very sick very quickly. I was sent then for a test, as you say, on the 28th, but I didn't get a result for 16 days. So by that stage, I had actually come through the worst of it. And I was on my way out of infection, but uh, of of the virus. But the the parting gift of the virus to me was um, a bacterial pleurisy in my right lung. So I had developed that. Mm. And the worst thing about waiting that length of time for anyone, look, it's done now. I came, I'm grand mm. about me, but I know others mm. have mm. been uh, in this experience, is that you're left in the dark. And that's quite a scary thing because you're, you're not well. You're worried about your family. You're worried about your children. You're worried and upset. Like I was absolutely devastated that this virus had, had gotten into our home Um so you have all of that going on, but you're not entirely sure, even though my doctor, who's an excellent GP, had said to me, listen, it, it, to, to his view, I had this thing. And he said, the good news is you're sick, but you're fighting this. You know, your immunity has been mobilized against it. But you're never 100 percent sure where you are until you actually get the result of mm. the test. And I mean, the wider point, Mike, as you well know, mm. is that the right strategy with this virus is that you test, 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 you isolate and you trace. And when it's taken 16 days for a result to come back, it under, it, it not only unnerves and causes um, distress for the person waiting for mm. the result, but it, it undermines the, the strategy to test, to isolate and to trace. So it has to get fixed. I know that there's been a backlog. They say now that that's cleared. We need to do extensive testing across our nursing homes and specific populations, but we need to keep building that capacity. And that means mm. not just the kits and the swabs and the, 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 the places where they take the test, 
but but we need the labor- laboratory capacity as well. And that has to be not just announced and re-announced, it actually has to be delivered. But that was my mm. experience. Well, you weren't prioritised, obviously, because of uh, your position. You didn't get uh, any favourable treatment uh, in that sense. Uh, and uh, and listen, can mm, I? no, mm. I wasn't. And, and can I say this? Ultimately, I'm, I'm through the experience. My mm. family's through the experience. I would never look for preferential mm. prioritisation. The, the priorities have to be, obviously, frontline health workers, have to be um, citizens with, with underlying conditions. And, and at this point in time, people in residential, uh, congregated settings like our nursing homes and mm. so on. But you see, this is no longer about me because I'm through the experience. That shouldn't have happened mm. to any citizen. Like, mm. it's wrong. It's and as I say, it undermines the whole approach that is going to be necessary, not just now, but for quite some time, Mike, mm. for us to, to stay on top of things, to keep people well and to keep people alive. So that's why it's, an, it, it's such an important point, mm. I think. I'm talking to Tony Fitzpatrick of the Irish Nurses and Midwives organisation last week and he was saying he was hearing from a lot of his members uh, who had waited a long time to get their test results uh, and some of them had gone back to work before they got their results uh, because it was so long a a wait Uh, and they were asking why is it that some people, television presenters and the like, are getting preferential treatment? Do you think that there's anything in that? I don't know. Uh, to be honest with you, it could, it could be just uh, a matter of timing and happenstance. I'm, I'm, I'm not to say. So uh, what I do know is that nobody should be left waiting huge lengths of time because it's dangerous, but particularly frontline healthcare workers. Mm. I mean, that is absolutely unacceptable. And, and by the way, Mike, these are issues that have been raised from the get-go, mm. uh, by people across the, the political spectrum, certainly by our own health spokesperson, Louise O'Reilly, herself a former representative and union official for healthcare workers. Um, so those st- stories are very, very unsettling. We're, we're told that now that the backlog has been cleared, we're, we have been told all along that healthcare workers would be given priority. Uh, and they need to get that priority and they should certainly not be waiting lengthy periods, nor, in my view, mm. returning to work until they're very clear on their virus status. I would think that's a matter of just plain common sense. Mm. It sounds like you were very sick. Uh, were you bed bound? Yes, mm. um, I was lucky, though. I didn't um, I didn't end up in hospital. And mm. um, so we managed it quite well uh, as a family, but yes, I was very, very mm. sick. Michael, mm. uh, I... It must be was, frightening to think what it's like to get a really bad dose of this because I, I think there's... Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Come here, and yeah. as I say, what I had would be considered, I suppose, a mild mm. a mild episode, but I just need to say to you, and I suppose to your listeners, um, it is, this is a nasty, nasty virus, um, and if, if there's anybody out there kind of in any way complacent or saying, well, sure, look, if it does come, sure, it'll only be mild and I'll, I'll get through it. You know, that, that's, not how, that's not how it's worked out for lots of people, mm. including myself, that you, you get really very sick. It's not an experience mm. that I would wish on anyone and I would urge people so strongly to follow the advice, to use your common mm. sense um, and to do all of the basic things and that's your best chance of keeping yourself safe. And as, as I say, 
um, particularly others in your family who might be older, who might have a vulnerability. You don't want this virus coming into your house. Did Boris Johnson? Did Boris Johnson worry you? I'm sure Boris Johnson has worried Mary Lou Macdonald many times over the years. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> did did he worry you personally this time round? Uh, because we were watching him on the telly, knowing he had COVID nineteen one day, and the next day he was in hospital, and then that evening he was in intensive care, and there was all sorts of speculation uh, about whether he'd been put on a, a ventilator. But he was sick for ten days, uh, it seems, uh, before. he got as sick as needing hospital care. Was that of concern to you? Well, I was concerned um, to see that he was sick. I I wouldn't wish this, as I say, on anyone, including Boris Johnson. And I was very relieved when he got better and he was discharged. And I wish him a full recovery. Um, I don't see any human being sick or or worse uh, as a result of this virus. And then on a political level, the world is stressed now and anxious. And mm. it, the last thing it needed was for the the British Prime Minister or any head of government to fall sick or or, or worse. So I was very relieved. Mm. On a personal level, you see, I had I had heard from others that uh, this virus can take different kind of routes and. You can be grand and yeah. be sure that you're getting better, and then bang, um, things can can just uh, go wrong. I had heard that kind of, that, that experience from, from others. So I was very conscious of that. And to tell you the truth, Mike, once I, I now know I was at a point where the virus had gone, but I, I got this bacterial thing in my lung. I think that was my moment of, hang on a minute, you know, is, is that this what's happening here? I'm just blessed that I have a very good doctor. I was diagnosed accurately and quickly and I got the right medication. Mm-hmm. Thank God for science. Thank God for medicine. Um, and so I, I healed up. But yeah, of course, I mean, you're watching when you're sick with this thing, you're watching and listening uh, to, to other experiences and you feel very connected to them because you have this, or I suspected, strongly suspected while I was ill mm. that I had the virus. But yeah, I think there's, a, again, a wider issue arising from this. I'm very conscious that all of our media, you know, is mm. about... The virus, the virus, the virus. Um, I was reading today a, a very interesting survey of younger people in particular and their levels of anxiety. Uh, and I think that's that's reflected across the population. I think we need to get the balance right of paying attention to this emergency, doing all of the right things, and then finding good, healthy distractions as well. Because you'd crack mm. if 24-7 you were focused on this, it really could make you, and particularly for anybody who's who's going through the experience mm. uh, of having the virus now, I would suggest to you, I don't know, Derry Girls, I would suggest <laughs> to you, you know, anything mm. that distracts mm. any kind of mental bubblegum or something that, that, you know, wildlife programs or historical documentaries or whatever mm. floats your boat, um, just, just to mentally manage yeah. the situation. Hopscotch. Very, very, Hops- very difficult. Hopscotch. I, I, I saw a family, uh, if it takes off, uh, there'll be a shortage of chalk, uh, but I saw a family uh, line a whole street and apparently it goes around the corner to another street uh, and there's wow. all sorts of challenges for children to do and it all looked as though it could be done very safely and it was a, a fantastic, fantastic, uplifting yeah, thing to see. Exactly. Uh, that kind of, yeah. And I know people mm. are, are having, are doing that and there's lots of things online and, 
lots you know, of things people's online. People's ingenuity yeah. is, mm. is brilliant and people's neighbourliness mm. and just kindness to yeah. each other is incredible. I mean, I think the best of, of who we are has been uh, has been revealed throughout this emergency and also the huge, huge challenges that, that I now hope everybody expect, uh, accepts. Mm. Whatever your politics, your party mm. politics, that we face collectively um, as a country. The big, big challenges now are exposed in a way that I don't think there's been exposed before mm. around across housing, across healthcare, mm. um, across people's income levels, sustaining particularly small and medium-sized enterprises, all of those big challenges that, by the way, aren't new. They mm. didn't just come with this emergency, but it, it is now... Um, clear for everybody to see how how big the challenge is and how badly we need to change how we do things and how badly we need a government that can actually deliver that change. Mm, I think a lot of us are asking ourselves, who are we? Uh, and who were we? And who do we want to be? Uh, and some of the things that we're doing, I, I think uh, people will want to continue doing them, whether that's baking and you see the shortage of flour, flour. or gar- gardening. Yeah. Um, and people are understanding that it's nice uh, to get away from all of uh, the hustle and bustle of everyday life. Uh, it's nice not to be driving. Uh, and can we work from home? Uh, and do we want to go back to all of that? I mean, you're talking about the positives and, uh, and the way we look on this and how it may have changed us. Uh, and it may have changed us in many positive ways. Uh, and I think a lot of us are, are reflecting on that. Has, has your experience of having the virus changed you, do you think? Well, undoubtedly. I mean, I think not not just having, having been sick and come through it, but, but all of this. I mean, this whole uh, experience where we have all been forced to stop uh, and where we have been stopped in our tracks and where it becomes like writ very large, uh, who keeps the show on the road in a society? So it's our frontline workers, obviously our healthcare workers, but also our shop workers, um, our bus drivers, our, you know, people who who sometimes... In, in the in the rush of life, um, get overlooked. You know, people are are lads who you, mm. people who drive lorries and who who bring supplies onto our island. You know, the hauliers, people who in the busyness of life you can all of us can you, you can kind of miss. You know, the cleaners in our hospitals. I mean, they're incredible people. That function has been you know, run down and disregard, almost regarded mm. by some, not by me, let me emphasise, it's almost like a an afterthought or a kind of a menial thing. I hope we've all learned now that cleanliness, hygiene in our facilities, our care facilities, our hospital is not an afterthought. It's essential. It's up there. It's an important, essential task. And those who carry it out deserve a good wage. They deserve security in their employment, they deserve recognition and they deserve respect. So I think lots of things have surfaced that probably all of us have kind of known or felt, but now in a very, very direct way. And then you're right in terms of how people live their lives. I, I think it's incredible to hear the stories of like uh, flour, you know, <laughs> mass <laughs> yeah. And uh, people aren't going to want to give know, up their baking. They're enjoying it now. 
Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, why mm. not? Because mm. people because they don't have the time. Have the time. Yeah, yeah, but that's, that's it's all about time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's that's all about the thing. Time, like, okay. Yeah. Well, it's been an interesting time this morning, uh, in particular speaking to you. Uh, I think. Uh, they're always interesting conversations, uh, but uh, this was uh, a, a very interesting one. Uh, and as I said at the outset, uh, delighted uh, that you're well enough uh, to take our call. You said at the outset you're back to work, so I'm sure we'll be hearing uh, some very important political will. statements from you in the coming days. <laughs> and thank you very much indeed. Thanks. So Good much health to you and your family. Thank okay. you indeed. That's uh, the Sinn Féin President, Mary Lou MacDonald. Michael at lmfm.ie Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.